God, for uh, your presence. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that you are a, a relational God, Lord, that you created us, um, Lord, yes, to bring glory to yourself, but to have relationship with you and what all that means. And uh, Lord, thank you, God, for your love and your grace and your mercy that you would uh, be so so sweet to speak to us this morning. We've heard already from your heart, and I pray, God, that again we would hear from your word, that your word would come alive in us, that the Holy Spirit would, would, would really activate the word of God, and that we would, yes, as, as Carrie said, we would do the word and understand, God, that, we, Lord, help us not to be like those that were spoken of, that we would have, uh, that we would hear, but, 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 but lose our, our, our hearing Lord, that we would just hear words and it not apply to our lives, God, that we would know what you're saying, that we would know what you're doing, and then walk daily with you, God. Speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, one of my favorite psalms and uh, is kind of the theme, just thinking about this just a little while ago, the, one of the, the theme of kind of this morning, and you see the story, um, it's actually chapter 17, um, the mercy of hitting the bottom. This is what David uh, said in Psalm 40. This is not going to be on the screen. I just kind of thought about it this morning. This is the theme of where this is all going this morning. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Isn't that a great word? That he is the one who lifts us out of the slimy pit, the mud and the mire. That is the God that we serve. That is somewhat of the theme of today's message. And I just wanted to start out. That's a great psalm to meditate on, to get in your heart. Psalm 40 that David recognized, because there was times when David and the people of old, we see them, that they would, they would hit the, the place of the, you know, where David said he pulled me out of the slimy pit, out of the mid-mire. He was at the bottom of the barrel, and God pulled him up and, uh, and gave him hope and gave him a new song. And so today we continue in our, our journey through the story. We've spent quite a bit of time in the era of the kings and the prophets. Um, if you read the scripture, you know that there's a, a lot said in there of what is happening with Israel. We've been looking at uh, this time in history, the children of Israel. Um, they came to a place of, of rebellion toward God. They were bent on doing things their own way. This became just kind of a theme for them. Last week, we looked specifically at Isaiah's ministry as a prophet of Israel and how he gave them the bad news. He, he talked about their rebellion, and he said there's going to be consequences to your sin, but he also gave them the good news of God's plan of, of redemption through Jesus coming. He saw this, this hope that was out there in the future. He prophesied about Jesus about 700 years before Jesus came, but God gave him these visions, and he prophesied about Jesus more than any other prophet around 14 times. And so what was God saying? He was saying in a time of great darkness and distress, God was continually pointing his people to his plan of love and rescue. And we sang about it this morning. Love came down and rescued us through Jesus. And so even in that dark time, God is saying there's hope. There is hope. But unfortunately... As you continue reading and you continue studying, they did not listen, and they continued this path of their own. 
Uh, they, they, it was a path of their own making. It was a path of self-lordship. It was a path of rejection to God's rule in their lives. And so last week, the, 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 the chapter in the story is called the beginning of the end. This week is the fall of the kingdom. It's kind of the, the, where it ends up. It's, and, and my title is, you see, is the mercy of hitting the bottom. Because uh, even, even in them hitting the bottom of the barrel, they will see God's mercy, and you will see God's mercy in allowing that. Um, I heard a, a pastor one time say it like this. He said, the worst thing that you can have God say to you is, is for you to have it your way, like Burger King. You can have it your way. It's good for your burger. It's not good for your life. And so this is kind of what happens is God loves them, but they are bent on moving toward uh, you know, their, their own life, self-lordship away from him. So he's kind of in mercy says, okay, you can, you can have it your way. And you can actually see in Psalm 40, it says, when David said, I was in the slimy pit, I was at the bottom of the barrel, but God pulled me up. There is a place even of mercy when we hit the bottom. And so in his mercy, he will allow us to hit the bottom so that nothing is left but him. And in this place of relationship and how he's created us, he does not want us to be content without him. That is his mercy. He doesn't want you to be content living your life without him. And so this is where we pick up the story today. It's in a time specifically of Ezekiel and Jeremiah's ministry as prophets. Uh, God's word to Israel that they are, that this is the time where they are going to go into captivity over and over, especially in Jeremiah's ministry, it is Babylon is going to take you over. And don't fight against it. Don't wrestle against it. This is God's hand. You know, God is sovereignly setting this up in your rebellion. I'm going to allow you to be taken captive. Now, God doesn't allow any time to be wasted in their lives, nor does he allow anything wasted in our lives. If you are going through something, if you are moving through something, it's not a waste of time because God would even, um, after it was all said and done, when they were captive in Babylon, and we'll look that at that next week, I think it is, but uh, God even got a hold and got Nebuchadnezzar's attention and brought Babylon to its knees. And so there was something he was even doing in the midst of that. So we're going to pick up the story. For the nation of Israel, everything has fallen apart. It couldn't be any worse. It's absolutely dark, and there's seemingly no hope anywhere in sight. Towards the end of Ezekiel, he, um, the book of Ezekiel, he has a vision that would become very profound. And that's where we're going to kind of walk through a little bit of this vision that he sees. And I'm going to show it to you in Scripture from Ezekiel 37. We're going to spend the majority of our time in this text. Some of you will be familiar with this. It was kind of an interesting vision that he has. And this kind of paints a picture. The first part of this vision paints a picture of the state of Israel and the children of God at the time. Ezekiel 37, 1 and 2. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. Ezekiel's talking. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And so he has this vision, and he comes out, and in this vision, he, he, he just sees bones everywhere. It's very dry. It's very desolate. Ezekiel sees thousands of bones, which represents death, destruction, and captivity. 
And he, and he makes the point, too, that they were very dry. It's a very dry season. It's, it, it, it's a profound vision. And looking around this bones, the, it's the obvious outcome of where the people of Israel were heading. It's a wilderness. It's dry. It's dark. It's a depressing scene. Death, destruction, and captivity. He's seeing this vision, and, and ultimately it's the fruit or the end result of not submitting to God. He's seeing kind of the, the bottom of the barrel. He's able to see down into the, the very bottom of the barrel where the people had gone, and it's the fruit of a life not submitted to the Lord or self-lordship. And so the people, that had been, the people had been killed by Assyria and Babylon as they invaded Israel and Judah. And so this is a time of depression. It is disheartening. And it is what has happened to God's people in a relatively short amount of time. God's people had fallen so far and so fast. You know, way back in the book of Genesis, we see God call Abraham. There's a covenant with Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and so that Abraham would turn around and then be a blessing to the world. I will be a blessing to you and your descendants. I'm going to take you into a land where you will be my representatives on the earth. And it was a call to the people. And for the first hundred, few hundred years, thinking things were looking pretty good. God raised up Moses and Joshua. He gave them their own country. He raised up King David, who was a man after his own heart. But then a number of kings began to turn away from God, starting with David's son Solomon. Without God and doing their own thing, they started to fail. The kingdom then split in two under uh, Solomon's son, he lost the kingdom. Then Assyria, uh, Israel was destroyed by Assyria. Then later Judah was destroyed again by the Babylonians. They deported the people to Babylon and then destroyed Jerusalem. So Ezekiel, he's exiled and he's prophesying to the Jews in Babylon. Now I want to give you a little bit of a picture. These scriptures won't be up there, but I want you to, to give you a picture of what's going on. Kind of Ezekiel's vision. He sees these bones that are very dry. It represents death. It represents destruction. I'm going to give you a couple of passages. You can look those up if you want to. Uh, you can follow along in, in your Bibles if you want to. 2 Kings 24 and 2 Kings 25. Just to let you know of what has happened in a short amount of time. If you remember, Solomon built the temple. They dedicated the temple to the Lord. Things are great victorious. There's kind of a revival among Israel. God is, 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 is working among them. But 2 Kings 24, 13 through 16, it says this, Nebuchadnezzar removed all the treasures from the temple of the Lord. So he goes in and they are taking over. This is captivity and all these things from the glorious temple are, are, are being uh, you know, are being taken. And he took them from the royal palace and he took away all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried into exile all of Jerusalem, all the officers and fighting men, all the craftsmen and artisans, a total of 10,000. Only the poorest people of the land were left. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiakim captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives, his officials, and the leading men of the land. The king of Babylon also deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000 fighting men, strong and fit for war, and 1,000 craftsmen and artisans. Then 2 Kings 25, 8-12, Nebuchadnezzar, commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord. 
the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem, every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian, Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan carried the exile, the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had gone over to the king of Babylon. But the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and fields. So in less than 1,000 years, God's people went from being blessed by God to being totally destroyed. And this dark, dark time, and the reason why I'm painting that picture is to show you it could not get any worse. And so again, God portrays them them to Ezekiel as a valley of dry bones. And this is God saying, this is what it has come to. It doesn't get much worse than this. Then God asks Ezekiel a question. Remember, he takes him in, in the spirit. He gives him this vision. It's thousands of dry bones. It's, 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 it's death. It's destruction. And then God asks a question of Ezekiel. He says, son of man, can these bones live? And I said to him, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. So God's asking, is there any hope for my people? And he's asking the prophet. And we'll find out that he answers his own question. But before we look at the answer, I want to get real practical today and see how this applies to us. Remember, as we're moving through this this epic, sweeping story called the story of the Bible. We're looking at themes and people, but the word of God we know that Hebrews says is alive and it's powerful. And he uses these times and these themes and these people to speak to us because the, the word of God does not lose its power or significance in our life just because it happened to people long ago. He's speaking to us. And so then what we ask is we say, God, what are you saying through this time? What are you saying through this story? What are you saying to my life specifically? Maybe to um, your family, maybe to this church. Continue to ask yourself that. God, show me. God, speak to me what you want through this story. And so we see Israel and Judah hit the very bottom of the barrel. They are at the bottom. We see the kings hit the bottom. We see people hitting the bottom. And we must understand that as individuals, including us, Not just the nation, but we can hit the bottom as well. So maybe you know of someone that you're close to. Maybe you yourself that has had to hit the bottom. Maybe you're on the bottom right now, the bottom of the barrel. Maybe you, at at some point in your life, you, you, you know what that's like and you can testify with David. And I can think back on my own life and times where I was in the very pit and in the slimy, David calls it a slimy pit with mud and mire. Maybe you can relate to that in some way. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you know people that are. We definitely see it in the news, don't we? Famous people, we see more and more, they plummet to the bottom. And ultimately, there is mercy because God is trying to get their attention and our attention. And so it's not an easy subject to talk about. We, we have questions when we or others we love hit the bottom of the barrel, don't we? How did I get here? Or we see others and we say, what were they thinking? 
And there's times where we, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago because this is a, a, this is a major common theme throughout Israel is when the prophets are speaking and they say, you know, don't go there. God, God loves you and he has a plan for you. He doesn't want you to have to learn that way. And then they, they just go. And, they, and in fact, sometime in history, you know, they saw the other generation. They saw other people come under God's judgment. And then they themselves are warned and, 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 and they just don't heed it. And so God allows them to hit the bottom so that they can understand that he is what they need. But we need to understand that the, the path to hitting the bottom is very subtle and it's very deceptive. You know, people don't just wake up one day and they say, today I think I'm going to plummet to the bottom of the barrel. It's been a slow process, compromising, a compromising path that has led them into that place of the slimy pit. And so there's a lot of reasons why people end up at the bottom. And I'm just going to, as we look very practically, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to look at, at a few here. And, and, and again, let's, let's talk to the Lord and let's ask the Lord, God, if, if you see those in my life, bring those to my attention. So these, these were common for Israel. And if you look at the history of Israel, they are common for Israel, but they are common for us. And so reasons why people hit the bottom. Number one is self-lordship. And you've heard me use that term because it's a common theme with Israel. Beginning in Judges, it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That was not a good thing. That was not a, a, a blessing. It, it, it was actually what led them to be captive over and over in that cycle of Judges where it would say, we don't need God. We're going to remove God from our life. We're going to remove his lordship, his reign, and his rule. We will be Lord. We will reign. We will rule. We'll call the shots. And so this is a common theme, and we ourselves must guard against it. They kept doing it over and over and over again. It's saying to God, I can, I can do a better job than you. Or we run to God when, it, when things get tough, and then we kind of get into a place of peace, and then we don't need him anymore. How many times do we see this play out? We can do a better job. We don't need him. The people of God back then continually did this. They rejected God's direction and they made their own paths. What does the proverb say about that? There's a way that seems right to a man, but at the end it leads to what? Destruction. The way that seems right to a man, I will do it my way. I will go my way. I will reject God's direction. I know he's speaking, but I'm going to reject and I'm going to go my way. And at the end, it leads to destruction. What does Jesus say about this? And you can fast forward to Jesus. He says, to, uh, he says why do you call me Lord and, and don't obey what I tell you to do? I mean, that's one thing he says is he says, you call me Lord and Lord the word Lord means rule, reign, that you are in charge. And he says, you, you call me Lord, but then you don't obey me. He said, why are you doing this? John 15, he says, you are my friends if you obey my commands. And so there's this, there's this message that Jesus is saying. It says, don't just call me Lord with your mouth. Live as if I'm Lord every day. 
And so he wants to be the one in control of our lives. And so self-lordship. The second one is pride or self-reliance. What does pride mean? It means this, a high or inordinate opinion of one's importance or superiority. An inordinate opinion of one's importance of superiority. Prideful people act as if they have it all figured out. Prideful people, you can't really tell them anything, and they are almost above being corrected. They're very, they're very rarely ever teachable. They know everything. You try to you know, maybe talk to them, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. And then sometimes we're thinking, well, you're not living it. What's the problem? It's the connection. That's what Jesus says. Jesus, you know, you call me Lord, but then you don't do what I say. And so prideful people are above correction. They run from accountability. They have a hard time admit to being wrong. I deal with that. Anybody else? Confessions. Don't you hate being wrong? And then sometimes you can, you can deal with it by yourself, but then, then admitting you're wrong. That's really, really hard, isn't it? But you know what keeps us from admitting wrong? Pride. And we just have to call it what it is. I deal with it. So I'm not just preaching at you. But we see this in God's people. They were, they were warned over and over again. And they refuse to listen. We, it's just pride. We, we can do this without you. We'll do what's right in our own eyes. You know, we'll set up even idols. And, 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 and this will be our God. Not you. What does the proverb say? Pride goes before what? A fall or destruction. There's that word again. It doesn't end well. You see, this path to the bottom of the barrel is, is, is self-lordship, pride. It all leads to destruction. It also says this. It says, God exalts the humble, but he opposes the proud. He exalts the humble, but he opposes the proud. The word opposes means fights against. If you're ever thinking about fighting against God, you're not going to win. I'm picking God every time. But he opposes the proud. It means he'll get in your way. He will resist you. And Jesus, what did he reveal in the kingdom over and over again? One of the greatest keys of the kingdom is humility. It's saying, I'm wrong. It's, it's saying, I want to be teachable. It's saying, I don't have it all figured out. It's saying, I want to humble myself before, before God. I want to be corrected when I'm out of line. I want, I want loving people to speak into my life the truth. Three, how do people end up on the bottom is no self-control. It's just you can't say no to yourself. You know, anything goes, and, and that is a justification of why we do it. You know what rules our culture in our day, especially in the West, is hedonism. Hedonism uh, is simply just the, the big word. It's, it's the rule of the day is I'll do whatever I want to do. If it feels good to me, I will make the decision. I will do it. I will, you know, we almost treat it as if we are just like just by, that we're driven by just instincts, 
and I have no self-control. I'll do whatever I want. If it feels good, do it. That's kind of the, the motto of hedonism. There really is, after, after you live in hedonism for a while, after a while, there's no standards, there's no morality there. Some struggle with this and they, and they want to change, but they feel they can't. Maybe there's an addiction that, that, that you have and it just seems like it has you instead of you being over it. But no self-control. What is Proverbs 25 says this, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. And the picture there, back in those days, as we know when we see Jericho, you know, the, the strength of a city was its walls. That was the first line of defense from the enemy getting in was the, when you had these cities with massive walls, people would even live in the walls and they could drive chariots on the top of the walls. That was the first line of defense is you can't get in here. And he's, he's painting a picture to the people in this proverb. He says a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. In other words, there's easy access to the enemy that the enemy has with you. And then we read Galatians 5, 22, 23, the fruits of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit or the Spirit's work in, in our lives is self-control. Now, always, it's interesting that you look at that. It almost seems contradictory. It's the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm supposed to control myself. Doesn't that seem like a little bit of a dichotomy? What Paul is getting at is he says the Spirit's power, the Spirit's strength in your life will give you strength and grace to control yourself. Not just flesh, willpower. But again, it goes back to lordship, humility, and repentance. That's how we gain self-control is, God, I humble myself. I know what I'm capable of doing in my own flesh. I know what I'm capable of doing, and I'm very weak, and I'm very broken. And then we submit ourselves. Holy Spirit, come in. Give me power. And give me grace to be able to say no. Fourth reason is shame or feeling trapped. People that feel like this, they feel so bad about themselves and they feel worthless. And so they, they don't think that they deserve to live a better life. So they, they become self-destructive. They just kind of aimlessly wander to the bottom of the barrel. You know, worthless shame profits nothing. The enemy sees on shamefulness and people feel bad or, and they come to a place where they sabotage their lives on purpose as a way of almost punishing themselves and so they feel trapped and they feel shamed. I'm worthless. I'll never get out of this. Boom, you're at the bottom of the barrel. And then you just know you're at the bottom of the barrel. You agree with everything that's being said about you. The problem is, is that's not of God. Living on the bottom is kind of what you feel like you deserve. But shame profits, you know, you know the, that, that worthless shame profits nothing. But here's the difference, and Paul talks about the difference. Paul talks about godly sorrow having fruit at the end of it. We, when we sin, when we blow it, when we make the wrong decisions, we should feel conviction from the Holy Spirit, but it should not drive us to shame and self-hatred. 
it should be embraced as saying, God, thank you that you, you love me enough to point it out. And now let me have godly sorrow. Paul makes the distinction that there is a thing called godly sorrow that leads to true repentance and change. Because shame and, and, and that, that self-loathing does not lead you to true repentance. It leads you to actually going further down. Paul says, embrace godly sorrow. It's a wonderful thing. Shed tears over your sin. Yes, it's a good thing. That's the true marks of repentance. And then say, God, I grab hold of your, the work that is done for me through Christ. And now I can be victorious in him and I don't have to live in shame. And so what do we do if we find ourselves at the bottom? or heading toward the bottom. We find ourselves and we look at our lives and our inventory of our lives are, 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 are dry bones, like, like Ezekiel said. We just look around and, it's, and we're in and it is a dry wilderness and it's just death and decay and destruction and we just see, wow, there's really very little hope. What do we do when we hit the bottom? How do we begin the climb back out? Well, these are kind of Somewhat of the antithesis of what we just talked about. Number one is acknowledge you're wrong. It's healthy to just have a confession of saying, God, I see where I'm wrong. Allow him to point it out. Come into agreement with him. Again, these are just things that will help you begin the journey back and saying, God, I don't want to justify it. I don't want to make excuses for it. I want to acknowledge that I'm wrong. And you allow the Holy Spirit's work in you. What is the, one of the things that, says that the, Jesus says about the Holy Spirit? He says he will convict. He will point out. Conviction is that he points it out so that he gives us an opportunity to do something about it. Ask God to search you. David prayed that. Search me, O oh God. See if there be any wicked way in me. When he shows you, you acknowledge that. You realize that you're heading for trouble. And again, this, this takes great humility. We must humble ourselves before God. We must understand that I don't have it all figured out. I want to be corrected by you, God. You know, the Israelites didn't do this. They stayed on that mountain of pride saying, I will do it my own way. That's what a lot of people will get to a place and they justify or they go into denial. I'm okay. I've got this. You know, everybody around them sees them. They're, they're at the bottom of the barrel, and, 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 you're, and, and, and people try to maybe reach out to them. They go, no, I'm good. I can get, I, I've got this. I'm all right. I, I don't need anything. Self-lordship and pride, again, at play. So we lie to, to, to ourselves, and we lie to others. And that's what God is saying. I want you to be truly accountable, and we need to search out what it really means to be accountable. That means finding somebody in your life that's godly that you meet with, that you say, please correct me when I'm off course. I give you permission. That doesn't mean that you're accountable to every single person. But you have people in your lives that you trust and that you love and you know they have your best interest in mind. Because when we don't do that, it's like, you know, it's like bandaging a wound that needs surgery. You know, it's, it's, we need to, you, need, you need serious medical attention. You go, no, that's all right. I'll just wrap you know, a little bandage, put some tape on it. I'll be good to go. And we think hiding it, you know, and it's like, well, nobody sees it. 
But what happens is infection sets in, and that's what can happen to our heart, is infection over a period of time. Infection sets in, then, you have, then you're worse off than it was before, and God's saying, deal with it quickly. It doesn't have to go there. Some young men are meeting um, you know, Tuesday nights, and we're going through this uh, series called Kingdom Man by Tony Evans, and he told a story this past week that I've heard before. And he said in his bedroom, there was a crack in the wall up, you know, up above, you know, from the ceiling down. And so he calls a painter and the guy comes out and he patches it and he paints over it. It looked as, you know, just as good as new. And he said about 30 days goes by and there's the crack again. And he's wondering what's going on with this thing. And so he calls this painter and he says, you need to fix this. It's got a crack. So he fixes it, patches it up. And then another 45 days goes by and it crack shows up and there's more cracks. And so he's like, well, I'm just going to abandon that guy and call a different painter. And so this, uh, the new painter shows up and looks, and he said, I need you to fix this. And the guy goes, um, well, um, I can't fix that problem. He said, what do you mean? Aren't you a painter? He said, sure, I can patch it, and you can keep patching it. Uh, that's not your problem. You have a foundation problem. He said, we can, we can patch that, and those cracks will be hidden for a time, but until you're ready to go deep and start digging and start working on your foundation, you're going to have that problem over and over. Isn't that very profound? It's a prophetic picture of what we're talking about. We need to go deep. We need to allow God to go deep. So acknowledging that we're wrong, there's something refreshing about that. Number two, repent to God and others. This is very hard. It's hard to admit that you're wrong. And so apologizing to people that you've, that you've hurt means that you, you express sorrow and you ask for their forgiveness. So getting things right with God and others, making amends. Fix what you broke as much as you can. Sometimes, you know, and that's why I say as much as you can. The, the scripture says this, as far as it's concerned with you, be at peace with all men. And so when you know what you need to do, do it. If you have the ability to do something about it, do it. I know that there's some circumstances, maybe someone has died and that you can't make amends. And, and, and I understand that. But where you can make amends. What I, and, and, and you know in your heart if God's asking you to do it. A lot of times we keep pushing that, you know, God, I, I don't know if that's hearing from you. And, and if it's to make, some, make things right with someone, the enemy is not going to ask you to do that. So pretty much that's God. You've got to obey that. It's very difficult, but take that courageous step. And regardless of what their responses because sometimes we go to people and you know what you know that kind of that that feeling in you that I'm going to make this right but you want them to make it right too and you go I'm sorry and then in the back of your mind go okay you say you're sorry now okay I made it right now it's your turn they may not say it they may reject you it doesn't matter as far as it's concerned with you be at peace with all men and then I love this Truly believe in God's restoration and redemption, redemption promises and power. This is the redemptive power of Jesus. If he defeated death, hell, and the grave, your problem is nothing to him. 
trust in God's restoration, redemption promise. He has promised restoration. He has promised redemption for us. Believe that. Know that it's here. Do we really believe that his mercies are me right now? Do we really believe that his power is perfected in my weakness? Do we believe that he is a restorer and a redeemer and a rescuer? We sing about it, but do we really believe it? So we got a battle against groveling, playing the victim, feeling sorry for ourselves. Resist looking for pity and sympathy and fight the temptation to run in isolation away from God and away from people. Because that's what happens as we begin to push away. We really don't believe in God's redemption power. And believe that in Jesus our story's not over. And so hitting the bottom is God's mercy. He allows people to hit the bottom to give them an opportunity to see him. I love the prodigal son story. Remember that, 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 that really merciful phrase in that story where he has wasted his life savings. He's wasted his father's inheritance. And he's working among the pigs. He's looking at the pig food thinking, that looks good to me. That is the bottom of the barrel. But then it says this, he came to his senses. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The mercy of God in the midst of the bottom of the barrel says he came to his senses. And that's what God wants he's, for us is that we come to our senses. And he realized what he had and he ran back to his father. Although he had to work that out a little bit, he was content to be his father's slave. And the father embraced him and said, there's a place for you. So that's us when we've hit the bottom. What about those people in our lives that may have hit the bottom? Or on their way to the bottom. You know, we're called ambassadors of Christ and we're his messengers to reconcile people back to God, the Second Corinthians 5. That's our calling. So what happens? What do we do with people in our lives where we see them on the bottom or we are they're on their way? And 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 how do we deal with that? Because that was kind of the jobs of the prophets. And here's 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 what we do: we speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in love to them. There's no compromise. Proverbs 27 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And this is, again, as if they are, if they are beginning to say, you know, I want to be, be corrected. I want to be accountable. Then they will see when you speak the truth in love that it's not meant to bring them harm. But it's, it's love. Psalm 141.5 says this, and I, I love this psalm. It says, let the godly strike me. It will be kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. Isn't that beautiful? Now, with that said, there is a right way and there is a wrong way. And you need to discern this. This is not just to beat up on people. But this is our, this are people that you love and, and that you care about. And, and we have to have a, a right We need to let our conversation be seasoned with grace. We need to be motivated by love. But we don't need to be motivated by pity. So speak the truth in love. Next is this. Don't try to save them or fix them. Now, all of the helpers and all of the people that have the gift of helps in the room, your heart just sank. 
Because this is a tendency to want to save people or fix them. Now, I'm going I'm to clarify what I mean by that. There is a Savior. His name is Jesus. There is a sanctifier. He's the Holy Spirit, and we're neither. Because ultimately, he's the one that saves them, and he's the one that fixes them. The Holy Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, we are, we are all in the process of sanctification. We're all being changed from glory to glory. Sanctification is something that we will go through the rest of our lives. We don't just get sanctified. We are being sanctified, or we are being changed to become in the image of Christ. The prophets lovingly warned the people, but they didn't interfere with their ultimate decision. Jesus would give the opportunity, but not make people. You look at the rich young ruler where he says, go sell all your possessions and come and follow me. The rich young ruler says he was dejected because he had many riches and he was sad of what Jesus was asking. So he walks away and he leaves Jesus. Jesus didn't chase after him and said, wait just a second. I, I want to help you and I want to try to make the message a little bit uh, easier for you to get. He just let him walk away. See, when we see people struggling, sometimes our tendency is to jump in and rescue them. And by mercy, don't do it. You see, God did not save Israel, Judah, from themselves. He didn't save them from captivity. He let them reap what they had sown. He offered to save them. He gave them an opportunity, but they rejected and they ignored God. He didn't rescue people unless they asked for help. Because one of the gifts of God, remember back when we first started this, one of the gifts of God that he gives mankind is free will. It's one of the gifts he gives us. It's that picture of the butterfly, you know, when it's being transformed. It's, it's in that place of caterpillar to the cocoon. And it's in that the place of goo. I like to call it. It's that slimy place. It's, it's not a caterpillar and it's not a butterfly and it doesn't quite know what's going on in it. And, and then the struggle happens. And if you look at it and you, from, from a certain level, you can have kind of almost pity for this thing and, and it is struggling and it's trying to break through. Well, if you tore open the cocoon just to try to help it, you just killed it. Because a part of the struggle is a part to give strength so it can fly and become who God intended it to be. We love them. We love people, but we are his ambassadors, and they need to completely surrender to Jesus. He is what they need, not us. And the tendency, too, is to make them dependent on us. And that, is, that can be a horrible thing. Oswald Chambers says that when we do that, it's like interfering with God's work in their life. Now again, to go back to the prodigal son, we can somewhat be like the father and we can wait for them with open arms when they're ready to come back. When they show the desire that they, that they see and, they, and they've hit the bottom and they, and they want to make that move towards the back. So I'm, and I'm just saying that, that we, we, we want to see a person that their desire is to change. And when you don't see a desire to change and you see someone that's bent on doing that, you're not going to keep them from going over the, the cliff. And sometimes the best thing is for them to hit the bottom and so that Jesus is all that they have. And 
And that's a very hard thing. And we have to, again, discern that. That doesn't mean that we don't love them. That doesn't mean that we don't give them opportunity. That doesn't mean that we, you know, abandon them. But we, we have to be careful not to interfere with the Spirit's work. Lastly, so what do we do is we don't judge them. God is the judge. Listen to what Galatians, Paul says in Galatians 6, when he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Give them the opportunity, but do not judge them, or you may find yourself dealing with the same temptation. So we don't, we don't come at people from a place of, well, I've got it all figured out. Look how awesome I am again. That, then that would be our own pride. Is to say, we don't judge you. Jesus even looked at the woman that's caught in adultery. He said, I don't condemn you. He did tell her, go and sin no more. You are on your way to a path, on a path of destruction. Stop what you're doing. But I don't condemn you. So we don't stand as those who would condemn. In fact, Paul says, if, do it gently. Love them gently. Yes, speak the truth in love. Gently doesn't mean that we don't say hard words. Love sometimes is tough. But we need to be motivated by love and stay humble. We can even confront in love. But remember our own story and our own pit that God pulled us out of when we're dealing with others. So in closing, we're going to come full circle back, back to where we started, back to Ezekiel's vision. So the first part was the hard part, death, bones, dryness, wilderness, the bottom of the barrel but the vision doesn't stop there. In the midst of all this, God shows Ezekiel hope. And so it doesn't have to be the end of the story. In Jesus, we have the opportunity to come from the bottom to the top. We can come from darkness into light, into his marvelous light. Your, your current situation doesn't have to be the end if you were at the bottom. And God is ready for you to start your climb out. And so let's read the rest of the vision and Hear the hope that there is in there. And Jesus, your story isn't over. So Ezekiel has said to God, only you know if these bones can live. So this is what God's response to Ezekiel. But it, it might also be God's word for us today. Ezekiel 37, 4 through 14. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and, I, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. My slider's not working here. It's, it, my phone's thinking. There we go. Pick it up where we left off. So I prophesied, was a commanded, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked at the tendons, and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the, the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, and that they may live. 
So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered entered them. So they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We were cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. God is speaking through Ezekiel, and he's saying, prophesy to these bones in a place of death, destruction, and dryness. There can be life. And this ultimately was a promise that God was going to bring them back in the history, in the story of the, of the history of what happens. I will bring them back. But the word of the Lord for us today is if you're at the bottom, if you're on your way to the bottom, you know people at the bottom, there can be hope. And that we can believe that God is a rescuer. He is a, he is a resurrector. If he can resurrect Jesus, the same power that, was in, that brought Jesus from the dead is the same power that is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel saw a new day for God's people. But that wasn't just their promise a long time ago. It was our promise today. And if we will humble ourselves and we will turn to God away from sin, our self-lordship, our pride, he promises new life. And the life that we were meant to live. And here's the trade we get. We can trade our death, our depression, our shame, our guilt, our self-reliance, and we get his abundant life. And so we can start today climbing out from the bottom. And we'll see him waiting there, as he always is, to open his arms to us, just like the prodigal son, and bring, him back in, bring, bring us back into his family. Let's pray. God, thank you for your great grace and your mercy today again. Lord, that in the, that picture, uh, the beginning of where, where, where Ezekiel sees bones and it just represents death there's no life here it's dry it's skeletons everywhere and that was it was just a reality of what was going on and the reality of life and Lord I, I just pray God today that we would hear the rest of the story that as you asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Lord, we say through you, through Jesus, through the power of the cross, yes, they can live. They can live. So breathe life, oh God. Breathe life into us, Lord. I pray, God, for those here today that maybe, Lord, have found them, themselves at the bottom of the, the pit. Lord, that they would look up and they would see your hand mercifully grabbing toward them. Lord, today they would begin that, that climb out to repent and say, Lord, I, I want to reach to you and I want the life that you have. I want the life that you've promised me. And then we say, Lord, those bones can live again. That hopelessness can go away. That depression can flee. That shame can be removed because of the power of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that people would have hope today. Lord, that people in our lives that may be at the bottom, God, that we would have the right words, that we would speak the truth in love. Lord, that we would have, know what to say, God, that we would point them, instead of trying to rescue them ourselves, God, that we would point them to the great rescuer, Jesus. They would surrender to him. 
God, thank you for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name. And just got a note here. Um, some of you knew about this, but Lynn's nephew, uh, their daughter, 17 years old, had had a heart attack. Um, she was in very critical condition. She passed away this morning. Um, her name was Christina Stephan. She was actually adopted uh, by this family. Um, it was very shocking, very, uh, you know, they did not see this coming. And so can we just pray for their family? Lord, I think about... Um, what this family may be feeling right now. And, and Lord, unless we uh, have, have lived it out, God, we, we can't imagine. Lord, and I pray grace for her family. Lord, also the Moldy family, too. Who, some of you know that, that uh, Joanne's son was, uh, was killed tragically last week. And Lord, there, there really are no words that we can just express humanly to try to help. But, Lord, we, we come to you with humble hearts and say, God, have mercy. Lord, we know that you can bring hope in the midst of despair. That is the promise of your word. Lord, that in that place of, of sadness and grief, that, that your comfort would be there. Lord, I, I pray, God, and, 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 I, and, and grief is just a part of it, Lord, that they, would, that they would grieve. But they would grieve, Lord, as the Bible says, they would grieve not, with, not like those without hope, but they would grieve with hope. Lord, knowing that you love them, you love these families, and I pray, God, that out of... Out of these things that don't make sense, God, you would be seen ultimately. That your Holy Spirit would be near, your Holy Spirit would be close, and the grace of God would be upon these families. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace today in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you could just remain seated. Um, we're going to receive an offering for our vision fund. Um, I know some people like to go ahead and begin to give to that, and it kind of helps us to jumpstart on some of the things that we have going. Um, just a great opportunity for us to, it's kind of above and beyond our general budget here, and, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to receive that offering. But um, as the ushers come, we also want to pray for the lunch. And as you get over there, as you go to the middle school, you can begin to go through the line. We're going to go ahead and, and pray for the food here. Uh, what we always ask is parents, please go through with your children um, for obvious reasons and, uh, so that we can kind of... Um, Keep the chaos in a manageable level, um, but uh, if you could, if you could help your kids through the line, that would be fantastic. So, will you pray with me and let's just go before the Lord? Lord, thank you again for your provision, for your love for us, Lord. Um, as we launch again another year, this uh, a new vision that you've placed before us, a new year that you have placed before us. Lord, I pray that we would make the most of every opportunity given to us individually. Lord, as a church, God, thank you that you've given us each and every day that we can live for you. 
And so, God, I pray that, Lord, as we, as we again, give into your kingdom in this way, Lord, that you would take it, you would, you would bless it, you would multiply it, God, and that, uh, that, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done, Lord, in this area as it is in heaven. We love you, we honor you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.